Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Hampton Young has already seen the past, present, and future of cinema. They've spoken through the character Crotee Robot that he voices on Netflix's new edition of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Before that, Yunt had emerged from the DC comedy scene with a job writing and performing on MTV's long-running series Ridiculousness. His other writing credits include Loiter Squad and The Eric Andre Show, both on Adult Swim. And you've seen him perform stand-up on Conan, as well as on The Meltdown with Jonah and Kamel. With his buddy Dave Ross, Yunt also co-hosts the podcast Suicide Buddies. His stand-up comedy album, Abel, came out in spring of 2019, just as I sat down with him to talk in his home in California. So let's get to it! So how does this go? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so how does this... Usually I say, Hampton Yunt. Hampton Yunt. Welcome to the Last Things First. So, Last Things First. Proud to be here. <laughs> um, let me get the obligatory... Uh, questions out of the way. Tell me about your the first time you ever saw MST. <laughs> Have you now or ever been a communist? <laughs> Hampton Young. When I first saw MST3K, I yeah. think I was actually in a hotel with my family. Uh, we were traveling a lot uh, for my dad's work. And uh, there was a couple things I saw as a kid that like really in a hotel that like really stayed with me because it was it was odd to find good entertainment on a hotel TV. True. That maybe had, you know, a couple channels and everything. Right. So, yeah, Mystery Science Theater was one. And that's a, that's a program that makes you stop when you see it because it's like, what is happening? It's whoa, jarring. Whoa, whoa. Right. There's a bad movie. And, and yeah. And then there's like bad little are, objects in front of the bad movie. Bad movies are all over, you know, TV, mm-hmm. no matter what. But all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, why did that guy just talk over that character? So it makes you stop, like, pretty yeah. quick. If you even give it, like, half a sec, it'll make you stop. So me and my uh, brother and sister, older than me at the time, man, we just love comedy. We love The Simpsons mm-hmm. and Conan, and we, we just fell in love right, but right what away. But what does that kid watching it on the hotel TV think of you having the gig now? <laughs> Is he, uh, would he be, he's would he whelmed. Be, would he be, he's, he's moderately whelmed, I think. No, because, I mean, that's an interesting point. I mean, I, I think, you know, I've, uh, boy, how do I answer that? That's an right. interesting, because I think when I first took the job, I was like, wow, it's like I'm being asked to be Bart Simpson or right. something like that, you know? And, uh, right, because these were established yeah. characters that you and Baron took over. Yeah, exactly. So it was really incredible. But then I think um, over time, it's been like, you see it like, um, more like a job, I think, in a, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, you know, you have to like settle in at a certain point and not be like, how is this possible that I could do this? Because <laughs> otherwise, you can't really do the job, you right. know, so it's like, you have to kind of drop that um, pretty quick. And that's only because like, say, like, in stand-up, I've had to work with people who I idolized, mm-hmm. you know, or just follow them at the improv, you know, like late night. It just happens. So you have to kind of, in comedy, do you, you know, like definitely like cherish your childhood loves, but like 
you know, say if I had a meeting with like uh, the the Simpsons mm-hmm. people, like I can't just like show up to me and be like, and I love this part where Homer <laughs> said this, <laughs> like that, you know, right, like, like that old Chris Farley yeah. sketch on SNL. You also have to. Do you remember when you like, did that cool thing? Yeah, you have to show up for work, and I love mm-hmm. work. I love I love comedy. I love writing comedy. So I love showing up and being like, okay, what are we gonna do for a show like this? Is it like other um, animated? Shows where you're all doing your voice work separately, or because of the oh, type of show it is, do you guys all go in together? Yeah, we do. Uh, this last season, The Gauntlet, which actually I really am proud of, uh, mm-hmm. that uh, we did all do in the same room. Okay. Which is a change up from the first season. Not that we, we, in the first season, we could all see each other where you were all in these like uh, booths that okay. we all had glass and we could all see each other. But it was insane, like, the first season. Um, my room was unnaturally hot. It was incredibly <laughs> boiling hot. Was that to get into character or just bad? Bad pla- I don't <laughs> know bad how this place was. Constra- yeah, bad carpentry. And then bear- this is this is kind of fucking insane because it's like my room, boiling hot. Mm-hmm. I was really irritable at the time. Uh, but still, it was a super fun experience. So Baron's room was the next one over. It had a grand piano. And Baron can play. Right. So between every take, he would just like lay down, <laughs> lay down the heat. He would just play like mm-hmm. Prince songs. He'd play jazz. He'd play freeform. It was so fucking funny. And then Jonah was in this huge room that was ice cold. And that was that like room full of drums. So every now mm-hmm. and then he could like pull out some drums and play. Okay. That was just like fun <laughs> i guess but for me but it was, for this season they you recorded somewhere else or this they season just, we got we you know i let it be known the first season i was like guys feel this room this is like <laughs> i should i have to take my shirt off we were doing like 14 hour like sessions okay. and stuff the first season so the next season a lot of those notes got heard and we mm-hmm. were like can we please you know space out the the time schedule a mm-hmm. little bit and can we also be all together and so I mean, that's why I think the second season, and there's many parts to why, but like, um, that's why the second season feels so much more comfortable between all of us. Mm-hmm. We're just like having fun behind the scenes, giving notes, just riffing back. Well, and you forth. also, just with any project, you also, after the first season, you're not quite sure what what's happening. And then once you see it, then you're like, okay, now I know how <laughs> this works. Yeah. I so mean, just. You, you probably have a better chemistry and a better idea of oh, what I you want to do. Yeah, I mean, we, we just like each other a lot. So, I mean, it's like the more we can... And you don't have the pressures in season out. two of being the new crew. Absolutely. No, totally. I mean, like, first season, I think I made a couple goofs, which were like, I would... Um, like my You weren't on brand? <clears throat> no, I wasn't on brand, dude. That's a goof. <laughs> I... I the Reddit, I, the Reddit, <laughs> the Reddit boards were quite. I asked, uh, miffed. I asked Joel, the guy who runs mm-hmm. the show. I was yeah. like, you know, what, what do you want? What do you want me to be doing, really? Mm-hmm. And he was like, just do you. Like he's very hippie, and he's very like, yeah, you know, I don't know, just do you. And I was like, okay, cool. Uh, I, you know, I already have to say this voice. It's mm-hmm. kind of nasally. So yeah. if I just make it a little bit more like this, then it's crow, right? This is basically how I would imagine a crow voice. You know, so it's not that much of a leap for me to do that. And I think, um, you know, that was what I anticipated. But then he would kind of be like, do whatever. So I think in the first season, there's like times 
And then there's like times we'd also have to like fill in audio from, you know, like a recording didn't go well. So mm-hmm. months later we'd have to. Fill. So there's like times where you're watching where I'm like, hey, so, hello, look at his face. And then I'm like, oh, God, wow, that guy's crazy. Like, <laughs> like the oscillation between my voices is like from cartoon to like the most natural Guy okay. laying down and just being like, oh, fuck. <laughs> but then the second season, I was mm-hmm. like, okay, that bugged me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the jokes were really strong, mm-hmm. I just was like, I need consistency. So the second season, The Gauntlet, I was like, it has to be 100% in that voice, you know, all the time. It can't be like, my natural voice right. isn't that isn't that interesting. Well, now you have an album that's all your own voice. <laughs> Wait, sorry, scratch that. Guys, my natural voice, super interesting. <laughs> Buy my album. <laughs> Holy shit, I need money. I have no idea if this show is coming back. <laughs> how does... How, Not been told at how all. Do, I mean, you know, I'm talking to you and it just came out. No, it came out a bit ago. I, I thought it just came out. No, it came out like four months ago, oh. which is still new. Well, now sure. when you're listening to this... Yeah, no. <laughs> it's several years ago. Four months at least, but then and then probably more. And then I think, you know, just with like, you finish the show and then mm-hmm. it goes to post-production. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's been like a year since like... Since you did that thing. Did anything related to it, you know? And it's like, I love it. And I think we're going to continue doing... Uh, definitely forms of it, but like Netflix is super cagey about like. No, I'm talking about your album. Happening. Oh no, I know, I I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just letting you know because we just had a long conversation about Mystery yeah, Science yeah. Theater. Um, yeah, I know. And uh, guys, I love my natural voice. <laughs> it's how I recorded my stand-up mm-hmm. album, and uh, I'm super happy to be releasing it. It's uh, out this Friday. Yeah. So. Four months ago. <laughs> no. See, you were getting me confused. Oh, I was I'm saying sorry. your album's just out. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to bring it back to the thing we were kind of just talking about. Like, I was trying to put a button on well, it in a sense. But I'm curious to know, like, how do you feel with an album coming out? Like, what are those nerves like compared to when hmm. the show comes out, a new season of the show? The odd thing is, I'd say... Is, is it comparable? No, I mean, well, yes and no. I mean, I think, like, you know, anxiety is anxiety, for mm-hmm. sure. I mean, like, doing a, a job that I love uh, is is just going to come with some sort of baggage, in a sense, you know, because I care about it, you mm-hmm. know. But I think um, when I put out an album, like, it is, it's solely me, and I'm solely responsible. So, I oddly, the anxiety around this album release has been, like, insane, just because, like, I already tried to record it. I tried to record it in D.C., mm-hmm. and the shows were just, like, terrible. Oh. <laughs> like, I just was like, no one really showed up. I didn't know how to promote. At the time, I didn't have my podcast where I could, like, really um, talk directly to people who are fans of mine. Right. And the the funny shift since then is, like, it's just crazy. Like, of people, now it's like... I say hey i'm gonna be here and actually people like show up you know and it's like okay this is way better (laughs) so i did the shows over in chicago and that's what happened and it was it was fantastic (laughs) yeah and what was the time what was the um 
Boy, yeah, the, the time difference between yeah between when you tried it in DC and At when you tried it in six Chicago. months. Yeah, okay. definitely like half a year because I sat on it for a while and I was just like re-listening to it and it'd be thinking like, if you, if you could do something <laughs> with it. Or? Yeah, the difference is a lot. Where I when I first recorded, man, I'd almost love to put out like those those tapes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's a combination of things. One, low turnout. Two. And I hate to say it, but I've actually talked to the openers about it, but like mm-hmm. they bombed. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I don't know. I'm putting so up the a audience couple of wasn't really friends. warmed up. Yeah, the audience was fucking mad. <laughs> and then the the material since then, since I decided to scrap it, mm-hmm. like I completely like flipped the entire hour, okay. like moved stuff around and like cut stuff and added new stuff. So it was a completely different beast, like at the end. And that's why I was like I really feel like it would be a shame to just release this stuff I've worked on for, you know, four years, mm-hmm. even though I was, I thought I was confident at the time, you know, but yeah. like, you know, and you thought DC, that's where you started in comedy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where you should do the first hour. But the club kind of is, was poorly run at the uh, time, you know? So it's like, you kind of can't really account yeah. for those things, you know? Now we were talking just a little bit before I turned the mics on about the DC comedy scene. I don't know what it's like now in 2019, but I know 10 years ago, it's, there's a whole bunch of people who came out of yeah. the scene with you. It'll probably return like that because it felt like when we were starting that there mm-hmm. was a group that had, you know, been like undiscovered geniuses like eight, ten years prior to mm-hmm. us. You know, like. The the real benefit of DC is basically there's zero industry, there's none. <laughs> right. So and it's like you're not even like and I say when I say zero industry, I'm not saying there's no TV. I'm saying there's nobody who will even put you on the road. There's no road. There's no like circuit. If you start out in Minneapolis, Chicago, Texas, all these other places, yeah. There's like a built-in infrastructure. They start working. You start getting out there a little bit. At you least can at least go gigs. around. Yeah, yeah. Like in, D- <laughs> and it's funny in DC. There's still like the same clubs. There's a ton of comedy going on. There's, a ton there's of no way. Rooms. There was no way to even get down to like Norfolk and Virginia Beach. Well, that's uh, what. God, what was that place? Or was that like Cozies or Cozies? And there was like a Funny Bone down there. Was, I've done. Yeah, the Richmond Funny Bone, and then there's McGoobies up in uh, Maryland. It's right. all the same places, and so they all still. God, some of them still book the same people who were like the old headliners when I was yeah. coming up. You know, like the, the Fat Doctor or whatever. Like people who like they're, yeah never even fucking heard of. No, but, but there's there. There's scenes like that in the Boston area. So it's almost an in impenetrable Seattle, the, yeah. zone. But the um, that also breeds a lot of... I mean, if you also think about the geography of the place, it's mm-hmm. near D.C., right? Which So it's like, there's just tons of smart people around there. It's like right, people, just being in the Beltway. Yeah, like the, you know, the parents of, you know, politicians' aides, they probably have right. smart kids, you know, like... So there's just smart fucking people everywhere. So they're a really savvy audience. And I think you hear that when you hear uh, David Cross's like second album mm-hmm. he recorded at the DC Improv. And it's like, it's super like on the line <laughs> shit that he's saying. But like, I, it's indicative of what DC is. It's like, you know, you don't necessarily want to like, you can't be like super uh, liberal per mm-hmm. se because a lot of them are like speechwriters for 
<laughs> like a Republican, yeah, some, <laughs> some official, you know. So like, there's it's That's like right. you they, have to walk this do line. The, the funniest politician contest they have that every year. <laughs> yeah, they do. So I don't know. It breeds this really like interesting uh, amount of people who work in the city. There's like mm-hmm. farmers not far off. Like people, you know, twenty minutes outside of any, you know, city out there. There's just farms, you know. So it's like. Uh, it breeds like this really interesting audience uh, and really interesting performers who then don't have to care about like, you know, you're never going to get anything. You right. have to move. There's no like, I'm going to get something. Which explains like a Rory Scovel who's absolutely really experimenting with yeah, what absolutely. you can get away with. Yeah, you would watch his uh, performances on uh, like stand-up comedy to go <laughs> run by Kurt Shackelford. Shout out <laughs> Kurt Shackelford uh, out of <laughs> DC and Bethesda area. Uh, he would run shows and yeah, exactly. And like Rory would record mm-hmm. and you'd have these amazing clips of him like fucking with like really smart crowds and like these incredibly weird settings, yeah. you know, like it'd be like the ballroom of a Hyatt or something. That The alt scene is just so fun in, in D.C. A lot of benefits and a lot of, like, just... How did you... So how did you know out. when it was time to leave there? Uh, well, I, I'd, won a, I'd won a contest. Okay. Um, the D.C. Improv, whatever one, like, <laughs> funniest, you know, comic. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I, I got... Part of the deal with that was that you get flown out to L.A. Well, and, okay. you, and you get a set. At the at the Hollywood Improv, I swear to God, it was so shitty. It was so funny. This is this is like God um, nine years ago, right? right. So twenty ten, I get flown out mm-hmm. to there. This I I have a fun set. I'm I don't I'm at that point like just having fun with comedy for sure. And I also booked a ton of other sets. I had met Jonah Ray. Uh, a little bit before then, mm-hmm. uh, he had come through DC, and I had actually just lucked into getting to do a set for his, you know, tour through there. So that's how we met for the first time. And then I was like, oh, I'm coming out to L.A. We booked a bunch of shows. And I guess I that's really why I just never went to New York. It's I was like just going to say, I, there I had went to be to, something. I went to L.A. and it was so much fun. And then I went back to D.C. for a while. I was like, I really feel strongly about L.A. Mm-hmm. I really feel like I'm going to move there. And then I... Uh, Everyone I worked with, uh, who I would feature for, would be out of L.A. And they'd be like, yeah, when you come through, I'll help you. And, like, yeah, so that was kind of what led to moving to L.A. And, you know, the funny thing is with that (laughs) is, like, maybe, like... 2% 2% of those people ever, you know, like actually helped. Like came, I came through. Totally have to start over from ground zero, right. but it really did feel like at least I had something. And, and if I saw those people, they'd be like friendly and it'd be like super nice to just know people. So, so yeah. how long did it take after you moved to get involved with like the ridiculous oh. crew? Um, well, then I. Was so, it quick or was it a while? <clears throat> It was a little while. I mean, I definitely was doing a lot of nannying jobs out okay. of here for a bit. And, like, uh, I um, started going to Santa Monica a lot. There was a new comedy club starting at the time called the um, West Side Comedy Theater, mm-hmm. which is amazing. It's it's so great. And it's run by, like, really smart, like, they get it, comedy savvy guys. <clears throat> But when I started there, or, or I just would show up, it was like, you know, chairs in an empty fucking warehouse space, basically. 
And they built it up to be this incredible space over the years. It's truly awesome. Go check out a show there. Um, shouts out. Bam, bam. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that was not the crow voice. That was his natural. This is natural. So I, I guess doing shows there mm-hmm. and um, I took over the open mic. Okay. Or either that or I started one. But me and a, a, a friend, Rob mm-hmm. Gleason, uh, he's a comic okay, also, yeah, started a, a, an open mic. And it was so much fun. Like we would just try and do as much as we could get away with between comics or before the comedy to without irritating the comics like we wanted to keep it just very fun but mm-hmm. like very quick bits you know like we have costumes or yeah, yeah. you know props and stuff and so we because tr- it would run late it would run really late and we'd have to be there the whole night so me and um a, uh, a comic uh christian duguay he's a really amazing uh comic he uh was doing comedy there, and he. it turned out he was a producer at MTV at the time. Oh. I didn't even realize, but we were just, like, good friends, and mm-hmm. we'd go hang out at, like, you know, delis afterwards. And uh, he offered me a job, uh, or, like, to come in mm-hmm. at, for, like, um, boy, there's, what is it? It's not Fantasy Factory. Maybe it was Fantasy oh. Factory. Yeah, yeah, it was the show... Before Ridiculousness. Okay. Yeah, it was called Fantasy Factory because I came in for one episode, which was the final episode. Ah. And they were like, just pitch wild ideas all mm-hmm. day. You know, we like that you do a lot of spontaneous stuff at your open oh, mic. Oh, right. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and I was like, okay. So <laughs> pitched ideas. None of them got used, but they were like, we love it. We're doing this other show, Ridiculousness. It's about to go into its second season. And boom, you know, moved over there. And I mean... From there, I I just stayed for a while. You know, like, it was like learning how to create a show. And over the years, like, I didn't even realize how popular it was. Like... I don't think I even still realize how popular. It I didn't was. realize Except for the how fact popular that it's on TV all the it, time. It, it, they didn't, they didn't, like... Ever let us feel good? I think no matter when you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> it's still on. Yeah, they never let us feel good about the numbers. Like, I really mm-hmm. remember season two being like, they would be like, and I'm paraphrasing, but they'd be like, we got a .5 on Thursday. And I'd be like, what does that mean? Like, I have no <laughs> idea. And they'd be like, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. But it's like, it turns out that show is more popular than Game of Thrones. It's more watched than that by a lot. Mm-hmm. It is... An insanely popular show. It, it like here's another thing. Every time it reruns, mm-hmm. it does almost as good numbers <laughs> as when it originally. Aired it's years just ago. like when people see it, they're like, mm-hmm. "Fuck yes, it's on." <laughs> and it's like, I, I then okay, say another study that disturbed me. I found out that um, you know they were like, what co- uh, places in America mm-hmm. that skew red or blue politically? Okay, who watches what? Right. Again, Game of Thrones, most watched thing in blue Democrat people. Okay. Like, and then most watched Red Republican. Is r- <laughs> Ridiculousness. <laughs> so, like, towards the end of me working there, I was mm-hmm. becoming hyper aware of how popular it was and being like, I'm being paid like nothing. And actually, uh. they're reducing my pay. And this feels like not a good idea to be mm. here anymore. And I love them. But I mean, like, right. I mean, I, I also was just like, it's so hard to be here. There was a couple like management things going on. Did the Eric Andre show opportunity come along then or? 
Well, I think then I focused on you... stand-up. A part okay. of it was I was like, oh, man, all my friends have done, like, late-night stuff, and I'm just You hadn't kinda... done Conan yet? I was just, yeah, I was like, I'm writing, like, ow, my balls jokes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Nice idiocracy <laughs> shout-out. Which is not, I mean, it's not bad. It's actually it's mm-hmm. kind of a sweet gig, and it definitely it, needs... And idiocracy is a great movie, <laughs> It definitely so. needs to happen. <laughs> But yeah, so then I focused mm-hmm. on stand up, and yeah, like about a year later, I think I worked on um, between that time I worked on Jonah had a show, okay. at the Meltdown oh, with right, right. Kamel, and they needed like writers, okay, in a sense. All oh, right, because they had like interstitial stuff. And it's like um, basically backstage. if you ever trying to make any show like that has, uh, you know, like bits or here's a thing yeah. you have to have physical like people writing down like what <laughs> is going to happen you know right. and so they so when you go from the green room out to there yeah. it has to go a certain yeah. way so they like improvise 90 percent of mm-hmm. it and like maybe one or two times we were like okay so you know here's your backup it's like talk about this childhood experience talk about this childhood experience right. you know and then it, they'd go out and be like come you got a dumb jacket on <laughs> <laughs> like, just be Came like, and you go. I'll take my check. <laughs> and uh, yeah, kind of like around that period. I still get to be in the guild, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I, I think around that time, I started working with uh, Eric Andre a little okay. bit later. And yeah, I mean that's just. I mean Eric Andre show is just an insane, insane thing. And yeah, it is. And I just saw I'm, he's I'm he's got a, a new weird, insane project mm-hmm. coming out. Yeah, <laughs> this coming month. Yeah, about Adult craft Swim. punk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I Did you work it. on that too, or no? I haven't. I mean, I want to hit him up. <laughs> like, hey, man, what's going on? <laughs> no, honestly, legit Hollywood. If you have any work for me right now, I totally need work. Okay, well, that brings up a good question. Um, how did you deal with uh, career or life anxiety and depression before you started a podcast about it? <laughs> what was your coping mm. mechanism pre-podcast? Well, definitely when I, uh, before I spiraled out, I'd Mm -hmm. say, like, there was a clear, I'd say, like, the last time I was truly depressed, depressed, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, I was a a lot bigger, I'd say. Uh, So food? Yeah, food, food was, like, 100%, and I kind of have dipped back into it, so Mm -hmm. I know my triggers, for (laughs) sure. The difference is now years of therapy and, like, uh, coming to grips and understanding the situation, so, yeah, like... My thing has always been food, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, uh, I think I, uh, I don't know. I, I used to have like more of an unhealthy relationship with it for sure. Um, when I felt bad, mm-hmm. but it was also like probably just allowing myself to feel that bad, you know, like that's the thing is like really like with a lot of mental health stuff, it's about like stopping it, like so early on you you know you can blame a lot of triggers and a lot of things but then you have to be like well what is truly upsetting me in my right. life sort what of is Ray, what is the void that you're trying to fill yeah exactly you know and you can go well when i eat i'm you know i, I eat when i'm sad and they but, but it's like sad? exactly but why are you sad i'm like <laughs> how, are you, it's just how life. are you addressing that exactly. it's just life <laughs> and that'll shift. i mean that'll shift you it's know? just a wildfire outside your house <laughs> <laughs> it's not in a, rainy sun. <laughs> in the, isn't it crazy, man? The one yeah. time you come out to LA, the, like rainy. the couple times you've been here, it's just been pouring. raining, pouring. 
The old man worry. is snoring. Don't worry by <laughs> all of the tropes. Don't worry by by July. It'll be wildfire season again. <laughs> and then you'll have something new to be depressed about. Well, but, you know, I I think the funny thing is like it's hard. I have this almost discussion with my family. Like I, I'm not. Um, I have depression, but I'm not sad. Like I'm actually like I have a great. I'm just having a great time most of the time. Mm-hmm. But I think depression is like a chemical imbalance in your brain. And right. uh, there's some, there's limited amounts of, like, things you can do in your personal life to to fix that. But then right. at a certain point, you have to go, oh, yeah, I definitely have, <laughs> like, a predilection towards downward spirals. Yeah. You know, something like that. Because you, you can know? see people who are, I mean, like, I was friends with Brody Stevens. And yeah. He had been dealing with bipolar for a long time, and mm-hmm. it didn't matter how many comedians loved him. It's nothing you can. It didn't do matter how that. many credits no. you get. There's still that that wiring in your brain. Yeah, that you I have don't to know. Confront. I, I've, I've talked a little bit about it on my own podcast. Right. Which is well, about mental health. Yes. Yeah. So how did you decide suicide to start buddies. Suicide Buddies? Um, well, just I've had like <clears throat> attempts, and like mm-hmm. I've definitely been like sad. <laughs> That's such a lame thing, isn't it? I've only been sad. Uh, I've got like my sad crap. Well, at least you're laughing at your sadness. No, I don't know. It's hard to say. It's more like. But like, um, what prompted you to? Well, I'll tell to you. Talk about it. One is and then release it into the I've, wild. I've done a ton of stand up about it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, that's been one of the strongest responses I've gotten just in, you know, a long, a a bit of a long career at this point. Like Mm -hmm. people, when I did my comedy central presents, uh, they were like that bit you do about depression. Here's my story. You know, like people would reach out and I was like, okay, there's very clearly some connection here. So yeah, Chris Gethard has a whole career. Totally. (laughs) I think much in the same way, every comic eventually kind of gravitates towards what is their, Thing, right? I would say my mind is clearly a dark sense of humor, but you know, but it's like, yeah, in the same way, you know, some comics are like really into food. Like, it really is like, yeah, I I think you put it out there with your stand up of what you're about or what you're into, and then people start to tell you, and they go, What you really about? What, yeah, Yeah. they go, I really fucking like that, and then you kind of should maybe at least consider. Leaning into that. Unless your jokes are like, you know, Hockey. kill them all. <laughs> yeah, like women should suck my dick or whatever. Like, yeah, and then the, someone's like, dude, that part about killing them all and sucking your dick, that was the fucking best. Like, or maybe, hate, maybe don't or follow that Or they hate guy. all your original stuff and they love your hacky <laughs> yeah, material. exactly. <laughs> maybe don't lean also, into that. Yeah, I'm also always a proponent of be your own harshest critic, you know, and try and make yourself laugh. But as you're that, talking, that, you it know? reminds me, like, even when I dabbled in stand-up, I would ask every headliner who came through Seattle and every single one of them, you know, aside from stage time, they said, it's all about your point of view. You have to have like, yeah, it's there weird. has to be a reason why you're on stage instead of the thousands of other people. It, why are you on stage? Right. It doesn't, what, it doesn't what do you make have to say? sense. I think sometimes when you're young and stand up because mm-hmm. you go, what the fuck does that mean? Like my point of view. Yeah. But what I actually think that means is say shit and stand by it. Like, say something you actually believe. Doesn't matter what it is. 
And it prob- and if it is bad, I hope you pull it back. But I've seen a lot of comics draw right. an audience off of being <laughs> shitty, misogynistic idiots. Like I'm saying, there's an audience for you also. Right. But the one- unless <laughs> unless you're Anthony yeah. Jeselnik and that's your character. <laughs> yeah. uh, what a sweetheart! <laughs> what a America's what a secret <laughs> sweetheart, <laughs> folks. I guarantee you, Anthony is just as sociopathic as you think he is. <laughs> There is. Why would you put up that much of a disguise? <laughs> it, what, I guarantee you. When he tells it to you, believe that. it. When he says, <laughs> "Yeah, I'm um, a big, I'm a big proponent of that." Uh, so, do you feel like you found that in yourself um, on stage? Yeah, I'm like super happy in the sense of like I love performing now. Like it is funny that like <laughs> I don't know. It is really unnatural almost. To have been doing stand-up this long, like, I hated the pressure of it initially, like, mm-hmm. just shaking, like, going into, like, leg-shaking convulsions, and, like, first year, and, like, it's always been, like, this. I started in, like, Virginia, like, rural Virginia, and, like, crowds hated me. <laughs> like, the first two years, nothing. You I mean, weren't the you weren't the bell of the ball of Virginia Tech. No, everyone homecoming. hated it. Like <laughs> the comics, kind of were nice. Mm-hmm. Definitely, they gave me a ton of shit. Which is that's another reason I love that area. Is like there is no industry, there is nothing to get. Mm-hmm. So if you're just a shithead wasting people's time, they're just like, hey, why are you here? <laughs> And then then when I ran an open mic out in Santa Monica, Mm -hmm. I did that once or twice to the people, and they had, like, mental breakdowns. (laughs) Like, in Virginia, it was kind of like, if if I can convince you to quit stand-up, then you shouldn't have been in the game. You know, but, like, if you can take this lump, then you should stay in. (laughs) But, like, I said this kind of shit to people. Like, literally... Just tears, like, you got to go talk to him outside. Like, you just told him that he's t- bad at comedy. And I was like, he is. And he fucks with people. He's, you know, he fucks he, with the lineup. He he, he's at an open know. mic. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> he should know that he's him. not good. Otherwise, he'd be at a better show. <laughs> so um, He's at my show. Yeah, it's kind of so beautiful. In D.C. one time, or, you know, Virginia, D.C. area, mm-hmm. I one time saw a guy I really admired, a headliner, just like telecomic afterwards, be like, you you can't do this. <laughs> like, um, you know, I like baseball, but I can't play professional baseball. You know, I like to watch it on TV. <laughs> the guy's just like... Yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> Some people just, should just watch comedy. just take his lumps. <laughs> uh, so f- getting back to the podcast, I want to ask you about Patreon. Yeah. How did you decide to use it? Oh, uh, well, we decided to use it like uh, just pretty standard, you know? Mm-hmm. Like if you like this podcast – uh, there's bonus episodes, and the bonus episodes. But in terms of even deciding to go with a oh, yeah. crowdfunding vehicle, um, well, I think it's one of the only ways, honestly, that like artist performers are going to be able to make money mm-hmm. going into like a new um, 
I don't know. A so new, it's just a, a new economy. It was just a necessity that. Oh yeah, there's no, there's no like second thoughts about it really. I mean, because it's like, and and the funny thing is, I think it's pretty fair minded. Really, mm-hmm. it's like if you like this podcast, here is more of it for five dollars a okay. month, which is less than a sandwich. You know, <laughs> like once a month, and I think that's pretty egalitarian. It's like, and um, it works. It could work better, but I think. I mean, it, you guys make you guys have. Pretty solid support. It's okay right now. I mean, it's definitely. I mean, it's not enough to buy a mansion, but it's no, no, yeah. I mean, but it's 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 not nothing. Well, no, I mean, honestly, my frustration is like all my friends have like are making like <laughs> insane <laughs> amounts of money over their Patreon. So no, not, there are some Patreons. Know, like, I, I there are some Patreons yeah, that yeah. I looked up because I, w- I was the no, other day no, I was looking up. Understand I was looking yeah. up podcasts and Patreon, and I was like, "Last House on the Left makes how much?" Money? Oh, exactly. And and they have to split it probably <laughs> like, between well, more right. guys. So, but I was know, still ooh. I was still flabbergasted by how much money. <laughs> They pull in. Well, I think it's pretty fair. I really got to say, because when it, it's always come to like, you know, artist and consumer, mm-hmm. the whole thing has just been like, how can I make this as clean as possible between the person who wants my stuff and they get something, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not trying to scam them. Like I want to create stuff, you right. know, that's the thing is like creators are the least likely people to scam you. They, they really are so desperately trying to sell their art. It's really fucking hard. <laughs> yeah. In a, in a, in a society where with the internet where people are just used oh, yeah. to things for quote unquote free. Yeah, I mean, look they'll at, pay for their internet service, maybe, but and I think you could even extrapolate this to like the largest, say, like Dave Chappelle when mm-hmm. he's like, no cameras or your phones inside my thing. Yeah. He's like, I realize the, I realize the the monetary worth of what I'm creating. And the funny thing is, you do spend so many years doing stand up where it's almost like kamikaze stand up. I'd call it where you're surprising people with just like, am I funny? Like. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, yeah, that's not worth anything. But mm-hmm. eventually you are trying to say something. You're trying to make a point. You do have fans. You're trying to cultivate that you know, fan base. And the problem is the system of comedy really isn't still set up to you know, feed into that. Mm-hmm. I feel like Edinburgh Fringe is the closest. Like, you can really see like they work on a new hour out in, uh, what is it, Scotland, right? Yeah. Yeah. Every year, they people comics go work on their new hour. They workshop it, then they go take it on the road for like eight months. They sell a DVD or see, you know, an album of that work. Start over. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's pretty awesome. Like I, I think that could be the same model here with uh, stand-ups. And as as far as right now, you really only see like a couple people cultivating that kind of like niche audience like Stanhope, like you see that sort of thing yeah. that like i think comics have to kind of wise up honestly because like if you're waiting for like um the comedy club chains to finally discover you and work you in every room like that's not gonna happen right so you can go from the tc improv to all the improvs yeah and for audiences that are 40 years old or whatever who don't aren't like young people excited about comedy they came out for a night out they just want they just want to focus on their burger and like you know if you suck their night's ruined and whatever so what you really should have to do is treat it more like a band if you're a comic and you should go out and try and play like ten dollar venues you know like young people who will follow you for then the next 20 years Mm. you know that guy's the best guy i ever saw 
I'll buy his album. I don't even have to see him anymore. You know, like it's that sort of thing. But I mean, I, I don't know. So that's kind of been my frustration for the last couple of years is like me being like, I do not see me, you know, like nothing against the clubs, but I, I just so far have not seen much response from A-list clubs of being like, I'm not Eliza Schlesinger. <laughs> I'm not like, you know, Crystalia. They're you not going to book me. They're not going to fucking book me. Yeah, you're no, a crow. Exactly. <laughs> I can go play the nice fucking indie room <laughs> inside that town mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll go get their kids. <laughs> All the parents can go see them. I'll get the kids. <laughs> so how do you, so how do you think it makes sense for a young comedian who doesn't even have the hmm. profile you have? Well, I'd where say, there's where there's so many people flooding the market right now. I'd say my profile is definitely diminishing. In a, you know, it's mm-hmm. like I have to keep on top of that. But right. I think that's true with everyone, right? right. And especially if you're young, just be really aware of what the industry is doing. Like at the time, and maybe it was short sighted when I moved to LA mm-hmm. and didn't go to New York. I at the time was like, I have more prospects there, so I was kind of going where. It made logical sense. And I say with like stand up or comedy right now, if I were the casual observer, and I try and do this sort of stuff, but like I'd say a lot of comedy now is visual. It's it's on your phone, you're watching Instagram and there's sure. short videos. So if you are a comic and you're coming up and you're young and you have the time, why not learn editing? Why uh, not learn video editing? Learn how to make closed caption videos. Learn how to make your own videos. Why not lurk, look into like um, how social media uh, requires you to pay like a small promotion fee? Figure that out. Uh, what markets are you trying to promote to? Like it, it's like, really how do you stand out from all the other? It's really about being like ten steps ahead. I swear, because there's no like. Oh, I'll just do what Chris Rock did. Like, there's not, that's not gonna fucking work. That doesn't work for anyone ever, anytime. You can't follow the puck. You have to see where the puck's gonna be. Uh, And it's a hockey, you know, metaphor for sure. I appreciate (laughs) a hockey metaphor in Southern California. (laughs) Yeah, well, the Kings are fucking awesome. (laughs) Get on board, dude. Well, Hampton, you're pretty cool too. Thanks, dude. You're cool. Thanks for doing this, even if you thought I was your your other friend. That's so funny, man. <laughs> One of the funniest things is Sean shows up. I think it's going to be my friend Travis Irvine, who's a hysterical comic, mm. and he's run for like governor of his of Ohio several times, or like he's run for like public office so many times. He's like a really funny, wild guy. Well, maybe if I just stick around, I'll get to have him on the podcast. <laughs> now I fear. Oh God, that's why I felt so good. I was like, not only have I offended you, but I've offended my other friend who I haven't been in touch with apparently for a while. So Travis, if you're listening, get back in touch with Hampton. He's waiting for your text. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, uh, And please, uh, guys, uh, buy my album. Uh, It's out. Hampton Yant. The new album's called Able. Check it out. Get it. All right. Thanks. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Gigglechick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening.
things first.